welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome back to another episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again today. So I think Katie has both a lamb report and a new puppy report. So go, Katie, tell us all the things. Dun, dun, dun. Lamb update we had. Well, so Jim has been complaining about how long it has taken the rest of the years to lamb. And so we had two sets of twins born Easter morning and one set of twins born yesterday morning. And the weather update ties into that, obviously. It's supposed to be 63 today and beautiful and sunny and 51 tomorrow and then 75 on Saturday. And then in the low 50s, high 40s for the next two weeks. Right. Um, so lots of so, videoing. Yeah, I'll let you know how field work is going on the pup date. She's doing very, very well. She is into everything. I don't know in the sequence of recording, Katie, if people actually know that you got a puppy, because I think we talked about it in an interview that might not come out till later. So oh, I bet you got right. a puppy. Yeah, we an 11 week old purebred Aussie Shepherd female pup. She is red and and was this a plant yeah it was a breeder i had contacted in october of 2020 who messaged me on saturday the 16th wait no the 9th i know what day it is and wanted to know if i was still interested in a pup so i picked her up the next morning and uh, <laughs> so you yes. had lots of warning and also no warning Yes, yes. We've been talking about getting a herding dog for several years now with the cattle and the sheep and the general shorthanded nature of our farm. I had put my heart dog down three years ago now, three and a half years ago. He was an Australian Shepherd, and so I had, knew I wanted another Aussie, but knew that this time we wanted one that would actually be useful beyond being real cute. And she is very, very interested in livestock and very very interested in hurting the children and are they interested in that no not really but they're becoming accustomed to it and we're getting signed up for basic obedience classes and hopefully at least the girl child will be able to attend that with me i think so i did have an issue katie because when we have talked before about our patreon we said that people at a certain level of Patreon support for the podcast would be allowed to name future animals. Now, I don't know if puppies were included, but did you ask our patrons if they had any input in the name or did you just go ahead, go rogue and name this puppy without our supporters? Input? I guess I did go rogue if anyone would like to add their name to the tremendously long name that this poor dog already has. I was going to name her Darby and I, this may make me sound like a loon, but she told me that her name is Bailey. 
Oh, she can talk. I well, no, I called her Darby and she just ignored me. And so I just started working my way through a list of names because especially for working dogs, you need something that has a very clear sound and is easy to yell. So I named her Bailey. The girl child named her Tracy. The boy child wanted to name her Combine and then realized that his sister really likes unicorns. So he changed his vote from Combine to Unicorn. And then, of course, her last name is Palmer, so the poor dog's name is Bailey Tracy Combine Unicorn Palmer. And if any of our patrons... That rolls off the tongue. You can easily yell that in the field. Yeah, it really goes quite nicely. So if anyone would like to to contribute to the Patreon to get their chance to add another name to that... Or we can name a bunch of lambs. Yeah, I mean, we have plenty of lambs to name. We have some calves to name. If our... I've got two ducks and two chickens brooding nests right now so that's probably like another 30 or 40 animals to name god all the the people who want to sign up and support the show are gonna have lots of names yeah there's no need to fight guys there's plenty of animals for everybody so get on over to patreon.com slash barnyard language and sign yourself up the sooner you sign up the sooner you'll be able to pick what animal you're gonna name (laughs) yeah for an extra choice. price, we might just let you rename Bailey Tracy Combine Unicorn Palmer. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll add another tier. Yeah. So, Arlene, how are things going in your world? You didn't things let anybody name good. your dog either. So I did not, but I think he was named before. Oh no, maybe not. I can't remember when we did, when we set up the Patreon. So, yeah, maybe we were both guilty of going rogue on on dog names. I already had a lot of people in my house trying to contribute to that that list too. So it gets a little more complicated. Yes. Yeah, so spring feels like it's coming. There's no no field work happening here yet either. We still got a little bit more snow, but it has melted again. So it didn't last long, but it was pretty. Um, updates in the barn is that the first I said a couple weeks ago that my husband was doing a 4-H club and that was a judging club and then this week the first dairy club meeting happened so that means that we're getting closer to show season starting so my husband and daughter have been setting up pens and a new feeding schedule for their show string and it looks like we're going to have seven possibly eight 4-H calves from our farm this year. So they try and set them up separately with an outdoor run and they're in a separate feeding program to make sure that they look good. Yeah, so that'll be three of our kids and then some extra kids who don't live on farms. So that'll be a little bit of extra work and lots of, of calf training, but it's a good experience for everybody. And so we're just through Easter weekend and I was... You know, we had done the Easter egg hunt and stuff and realized that I hadn't decorated for Easter, which is probably the third year running. It feels like since the pandemic, I just like kind of gave up on that idea. I did decorate some for Christmas, but I've got a bin upstairs with Easter decorations and I look at it and just I'm like, nah, <laughs> my father, I'm just going to put the stuff out and then have to take it back in again. So apparently I've given up on decorating. So. I'm not not ready to like fully get rid of the stuff, but at some point I may have to actually open it up and decide if I want to keep any of those things or not. Well, I feel like it's hard to to get motivated for those holidays that are like something that you maybe spend two or three days celebrating. I mean, Christmas mm-hmm. or, you know, Hanukkah or whatever you kind of like 
have a, a month around it that's a celebration and you know and especially if you're not hosting a gathering you know lots of times i'm you know going over to my in-laws or maybe to my parents and yeah if we're not having anybody here and it's just us it feels like and when my kids were little they seemed to be more into it and wanted to get the stuff out and now i'm like do you want to decorate for easter and they shrug their shoulders and (laughs) so i do the same and we just don't bother yeah, I actually realized I got three egg dyeing kits this year and did not dye any eggs because <laughs> I thought about it, is, it. It's a pretty messy task. Yeah, the the four year old, the five year old, and the eleven week old puppy. It just didn't seem. And as ridiculous as it is, we have seventeen hens, but they all lay brown eggs. So the idea of having to buy eggs. Yeah, because the dyes don't really colors, take and then, it. <laughs> nobody will eat them because no one in our family will eat store-bought eggs now because oh, we're so spoiled. spoiled yeah just seemed really pointless yeah i think egg de- decorating is probably one of those things that in warmer climates is a really good idea because you could do it outside but to do it here out on a picnic table or something in the april or some you know sometimes march weather is not all that appealing so yeah that doesn't sometimes it doesn't happen for us either i think i even i tend to blow out the eggs because that feels less wasteful right i think i might even have some in those bins of easter decorations of eggs that i blew out last year and then we never ended up decorating so i'm ahead of the game for next year if anyone wants to dye eggs but i saw at the store they had like white paper mache eggs and i think Mm -hmm. maybe that's what we'll do next year because they're not really that much more expensive than buying a dozen eggs. Yeah, that's and true. They won't get broken and you don't have <laughs> yeah. to cook them. Yeah, so, they're not going to get crushed in little hands. Yeah, that seems ideal, maybe. Yeah, that's a good option. Yeah, yeah. and then you can hold on to them better too, right? Yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're a little bit more stable for, for artwork. Yeah. So should we oh. introduce our guest? Yeah, do it. All right, here she is. And Katie, if you swear on this show, that's totally fine. And if you I read that and I was like, thank you, Jesus. I hate censoring yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah. We've had a couple guests who were like, we don't swear. And I was just like, okay. I mean, <laughs> that's kudos a, that's to okay them. for I them. That's fine yeah, for there's them. There's been so many podcasts where like they've cut some like good stuff out because I let the word shit fly. And I'm like, really? No, we have a swear warning at the beginning and tell people if their kids are listening to put on headphones or, you know, their kids can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to hear it at some point. Yeah, that's right. That's part of the warning. If they haven't already heard it in the barn, <laughs> it's not our problem. Yep. <laughs> Today we're talking to Katie Daughter, also known as Agvocate. And if you are a farmer on social media, you probably already know her. But we're going to let her introduce herself a little bit with the same question we ask all of our guests. So we start our show, Katie, with the question, what are you growing? So this can cover crops, families, businesses, anything in the world. So what are you growing, Katie? I am growing two things, really. I am growing a business that I've always wanted to start. And I'm also growing myself. There's a lot of self-growth happening these days. Those are both exciting things. So what is your business? My business is Agvocate, and it is a kind of a play in my name because I go by, my full name is actually Catherine, but I go by Katie or Kate. And so I've always 
been and love to advocate for agriculture. So that's why the Agvo comes with the Kate. And so that business is, it's advocacy. So I do some contract work with some PR agencies to advocate for agriculture. And, you know, I, I do advocating on my own, whatever opportunity I have, I always capture those, what I call teachable moments, whether I'm at my family farm or somebody else's farm or something that I just know that people aren't super aware of that aren't in agriculture. And then another big portion of Agvocate is my educational side to it, which is teaching Spanish. And we'll, I think we'll get into that a little later. And I'm also working on offering ESL, English as a Second Language, as I do have degrees in both Spanish and um, English as a Second Language. So Katie, before we get any further, I see your steel cow painting back there. Yes. They're actually based about 15 miles from our, so it's always, oh, it's cool to see it like in the wild. Yes. <laughs> I love steel cow. I have her clocks everywhere in my, yeah. in my place. Yep. We have a lot of steel cow in our house. Too. Uh, <laughs> for anyone who's not familiar, it's a portrait of, is it a Jersey? Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah. They're uh, they're a square painting with a solid background and a portrait of an animal. She has chickens and goats and hogs and things as well as clocks and Christmas ornaments. And I guess <laughs> I will just put her website on our page now that I've, you know, totally you advertised go. for her. We should get her on the show too. That'd be cool. So Katie, I actually found you through a mention of your farm Spanish class in the Dairy Girl Network. Is that where I saw you? Maybe. Maybe. I don't like to. I don't know. Okay. I saw a mention of your farm Spanish class. And how and when did you realize how crucial this class is for farmers? So I knew this, there, there was this need, right? There's this big communication gap. And we talk about all the time in ag about the communication gap between consumers and farmers, which that is still, still there, still viable, still growing, unfortunately. But there's also a communication gap within agriculture as 80% of the workforce in ag in general speak Spanish. We depend heavily on immigrant labor to get the farm chores done every day. And I know some people don't like to hear that, but that is the reality of our agriculture industry here. And our the ag industry would be severely crippled if we did not have people coming in to help do these jobs that I'm just gonna say it, most Americans don't wanna do. And so there was, there was this huge communication gap. And you know a lot of it was, okay, I just don't know how to communicate. Well, I've been seeing this for years and I'm like, okay, I went back to school for Spanish and it didn't even kind of put two and two together. Just, I just wanted to learn the language more. I actually learned, started learning it in third grade. I was eight. <laughs> My third grade teacher, she wasn't a native speaker. She just had this program called Muzzy and Muzzy does, it's a cartoon and they do different languages. And she just thought it'd be cool as a brain break, like, you know, in the middle of doing fractions or whatever. And so I learned how to count to 10 in Spanish and I learned simple words and like, como esta? like, how are you? And so that year, this is how much of a nerd I am. I asked Santa Claus that year <laughs> for a Spanish book and I got one with a cassette. I'm dating myself now. I realized that, but I was so excited. And it was like one of my favorite toys that I got for Christmas that year. And I remember that's, that's really what I played with I'm using air quotes there. But because I remember the next, the morning after Christmas, I came downstairs and my mom was eating breakfast and I was so excited because I had my first sentence in Spanish and I go, so I, un oso. and my mom's like, oh, okay. Like, I don't have, I have no idea what you said, but it sounded great. And so I said it again. I said, so un oso. and she's like, what, what are you saying? And I'm like, I am a bear. <laughs> that was my first sentence. <laughs> I am a bear. The, the book was all about like teddy bears and whatnot. So anyway, 
I took Spanish in high school and I liked it, but, and my teacher was a fantastic person, but I didn't, I was kind of let down because the teaching methodology that she used just, it ruined it for me. So I only took two years in, in high school and then I went back for it. Actually, when I was a first generation farmer, don't ask me how I, I was taking classes in between milking cows. But anyway, I really started noticing this communication gap and it's like, why are we not learning the language of the people that are, are here to help us every single day? So I decided, you know what, let's, let's try this. And um, so my education classes right now, they're just Spanish, but like I said, I am working on the, the English portion for Spanish speakers to learn English. And I do tutor right now, a gentleman every week, actually our appointments tonight. It's, it's a lot of fun. You don't realize how difficult English actually is until you start teaching it to somebody that is not their native language. So the Spanish classes, they have been a lot of fun. They've been very successful. I just finished my winter course. So I've been doing this for about three years now. And it was my biggest class ever with 53 students. And my students are from California to Delaware. I've had a few Canadians and they are farmers. They are veterinarians. They are pharmaceutical representatives. They're people that are nutritionists. I mean, you name it. And not, they're not all in dairy. They're, they're, they're throughout agriculture. So it's been a really fun experience. And I'm, I'm always learning because there's so many different dialects in Spanish. So one of my students will, will say, well, my, one of my employees says it like this. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll add it to the list, you know? So I learn along with my students, but I, I get to teach them the basics. Like we're putting sentences together by week three. It's very exciting. Well, and I think it's so great to foster excitement about getting to talk to people instead of it being, a, you know, oh, I got out Google Translate and got close enough. You know, if 80% of your employees speak a different language than you do, that's on you to learn it, you know, you at know, least enough to, yes. to be able to communicate. That's... Do you know how much respect you can garner just in a short amount of time? And I'm not asking you to be fluent. There's, you know, and there's no way you're going to be fluent just by the eight weeks of my course. And I do offer two courses. I do a beginner's course and then an intermediate. And you're still not going to be fluent because it's up to you to really, I mean, you've got to practice it. You have to use it. We have a, when I taught in the public school system, we have this saying, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And that is so, so true because it's something that you just have to keep practicing. And so I still have students that come back to me. And again, they're all adult students. And they're like, hey, Katie, I found this app. And like, I think I've really improved. And the, the best thing is now that we're starting to come out of this pandemic and I'm going to in-person meetings, I have like, and I, I don't get to know every one of my students because it's all through Zoom. They're all online. And so for a student to come up to me, be like, hey, I was in your class. And I'm like, oh, do you want to practice Spanish? <laughs> It's really fun. So the town that my kids go to school in has a packing plant. So we have an unusually high number of non-native English speakers in my kids' school. It's, I want to say, close to 80% of the students are not native English speakers. But one thing I hear a lot is, well, those Mexicans are in town. So how do you approach education regarding the cultural differences? Because a lot of people legitimately don't seem to understand that speaking Spanish does not mean that you're Mexican and looking Hispanic does not mean you speak Spanish. We have a lot of folks here who speak a lot of other dialects and they might speak some Spanish, but it's not a lot. So I'm wondering, you know, how you encourage folks to learn more about the culture and just the those cultural awareness. Differences. 
Yeah. Culture awareness is huge and it's super important. And I actually build that into my curriculum because there's no sense of just learning the language without learning some cultural facts and differences. And people need to like, and I actually wrote an article about it because I was so tired of hearing, and I, I get it. Some people just, just don't know, but educate yourself, you know? So I, I hate, one of the things I hate the most is when, and it'll be a farmer. They'll be like, oh, well, I have such and such. I have, I have like 15 Mexicans. And I'm like, first off, you don't have anybody. This is not modern day slavery. Two, I asked the one farmer, I said, oh, so they're all from Mexico? And he was like, well, no, I don't think so. I said, then they're not all Mexican. You can't, you can't do that. That, and this is me, this is my opinion. And this is an example that I tell people. I'm like, that's like calling me a Canadian just because I'm white. Like that's, that's not okay. That's not okay. And so when you start to explain to people the differences between Mexico and Honduras, it's like, you know, if somebody's from Honduras, they're a Honduran and they're going to get very offended if you call them a Mexican, rightly so. I mean, people are very proud of their nationality and where they're from. And so cultural differences, we need to be just more cognizant of what comes out of our mouth. (laughs) One, um, another thing is I don't think people, there's people forget or maybe don't know There's a distinct distinction between nationality and language. I had a banker once tell me the Spanish come in here all the time to cash their checks. And I'm like, are they, are they from Spain? And she's like, well, no, they, they speak Mexican. And I was like, oh my goodness, no, Mexican is actually a nationality. Spanish is the language, you know, and I don't not like, I don't, I'm not going to school you in a rude way, but I'm not going to let you go either thinking that what you just said was okay. That's called respect, really. I mean, if you really get down to the brass tacks of it, it is, it is respect. So cultural awareness is huge and it's more, culture is more than just the language. It's their beliefs. It's somebody's, you know, what they like to do for fun. What do they do in family? Whether we, I don't think we think of it like this, but I love to give this example because some people are like, wait, what? We have cultural differences in our different towns and and cities in our states. So for example, I, I come from central PA, right? I should know more Dutch, I think, than anything, but I don't. But I grew up, I'll never forget, I had told a friend that I made a mess on the floor and I said, go get the sweeper. And she said, the sweeper? So she brings me a broom. And I'm like, what are you doing? That's a, that's a broom. She's like, well, you said to bring a sweeper. And where I grew up, a sweeper is a, a vacuum. It's a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> we call it a sweeper. That is an example of a cultural difference. So we have them. We just don't, I don't think, sometimes label them as such. Well, I think too, you know, in the in the upper Midwest, the battle between casserole and hot dish is so <laughs> heated and vitriolic. Yes. And then folks turn around and say, Well, all these Mexicans, and I'm like, they're Guatemalan. Mm-hmm. And I've I've literally had this conversation with folks and they're like, Well, what's the di-? same thing? I'm like, yeah, you no, can it, it legitimately spend no time arguing about hot dish versus casserole, yeah. but you can't differentiate two very different countries like yes yes Mm -hmm. yeah get a hot take on that one (laughs) but i do need to know katie is it a hot dish here on the east coast we we do say casserole i don't think anybody calls it a hot dish that is from like pennsylvania it's casserole yeah as the Canadian host, I will say I've never I've never called anything a hot dish unless it was like it burnt my hands, then it would be hot. We Literally a dish that, that was hot. We joked yeah. that I had to get a a passport to move up here and marry my husband. Um, <laughs> I actually I'm a whole two hours from my hometown. 
and once told someone that I was a mail order bride and they thought I was serious (laughs) (laughs) because my husband is related to everyone in this area you know so it's like yeah you had to go you know out of the area to find a wife (laughs) and and where I grew up it's a casserole many people here would say it's a hot dish and they will get heated if you call it the wrong thing (laughs) wow got it yeah so in terms of your Gravy Sorry, I was just ketchup situation <laughs> okay, with the tater tots. I was going to swing back to the class. So, <laughs> in terms of how you you said it's on Zoom, so is it live or can or is it recorded? Like, how can people engage with the the class? Yep, it is. It's live right now. Well, it's live, but also recorded. So right. those that can make it live join the live class. But every single class is recorded. And once you're a registered student, you get access to a password protected page where you have 24 seven access to access it to, and that's the recordings, that's the materials and resources. I do give homework. I don't give a lot because I understand that as adults, we have a lot on our plate, right? We have families, we have a job, we have a farm, we have, you know, a bunch of different things. So it is there. And then I actually leave it up for uh, a minimum of four weeks after the class ends, because I get it. Things happen. I mean, I've had students that, especially this last go around with companies starting to kind of pick up the pace with the pandemic dissipating a bit. And so I've had a bunch of students that were like, Katie, I just can't keep up. And I'm like, it's, it's cool. Like you, and actually I extended it six weeks just because my class was so big. And I wanted, I didn't want my students to be anxiety ridden of getting the stuff done because I only assign it's two classes a week. So it's two hours a week. And then I only assign homework on the third is Tuesdays and Thursdays on Thursday. Cause that gives you more time to get it done. And, and, and it's not much, it's maybe a page or two of sentences and it's tying together everything that we've learned, learned in class. And that's grammatical concepts with vocab and all the vocab. The cool thing about my class is it is specifically tailored to agriculture. So our first vocab list is cow milk, tank, things like that. Not bear. No, 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 we don't go into bear. Maybe I'll go into the wildlife sector at some point, but not right now. Yeah. Um, so it is. And I will say though, <laughs> I have, I have a waiting list for the next class, which is amazing, but my schedule is filling up with, with a very new cool opportunity that, that just came my way. So this, if people want to take it in the spring, I'm going to offer fresh recordings. There won't be a live component other than office hours. I still want to be available to students and I'm very flexible to say, Hey, when can the majority of you meet? And if somebody can't meet during my office hours to ask a question, we'll find another time. Like I'm that serious about, I want you to learn this language. I want you to have fun with it and I want you to use it. So if, if people are interested in the spring, it is going to be recordings, but office hours will be live. And then my goal is to offer the live ones again in the fall because nobody wants to, <laughs> everybody wants to have fun in the summer and I get that, but the live will be in the summer or in the fall. And there's something else I was going to tell you about that. I don't remember, but yeah, that's all right. It'll come back. So can you tell us a bit more? You said you're from Pennsylvania, right? So I'm assuming you grew up on a dairy farm. Can you tell us a bit about your background in agriculture? Absolutely. So I grew up as part of the third generation on my family dairy farm, which is still in operation today. And that is in Clinton County, Pennsylvania. And my 95 year old grandfather still goes to the farm every day. So he's the first generation, him and my grandmother. I'm very fortunate, by the way, to have three of my four grandparents still with me to this day. But they started the farm in 1951 with like, what do you tell me, 15 cows. (laughs) And then out of the six kids they had, 
two stayed, which was my dad and my uncle. So they make up the second generation and each of them had three kids. So I'm the oldest on my side. And then, so anyway, the third generation is there, which is my brother, my sister, my two cousins. And then there's actually a uh, non-family member who's actually also part of the business, but it's pretty cool because the third generation at my family farm is all female, except for my brother and the the non-family member. So very proud of that. Very proud of my family farm. They're very progressive. So going from 15 cows to they're milking about a thousand cows. So every time I go home, I feel like there's something new, you know, whether it's a grain center or a nor pit or a barn or whatever, but they're always progressing and they're always thinking, okay, what's next? So yeah, I grew up. And if you would have asked me, I mean, in high school, my goal was to, to go back and be part of that third generation. But that didn't happen. I was, I was back. So my dad had a rule that if any of us kids, any of us three kids wanted to come back, we had to work elsewhere for a year, by the way, fantastic rule, because you learn how not to be the boss's daughter, right? Like you have these great experiences. So my brother went out on a harvest crew out West. My sister went to France. (laughs) She studied over there and I took a job. So my first degree is in business management and marketing. And then I took an internship, which turned into a full-time job for a year. Actually down here in Gettysburg, I worked on a large dairy, a robotic dairy for a year. And it was actually a year to the date. I was actually going to stay a little longer because I was learning things and I was comfortable. And my dad called and he said, are you ready to come back yet? (laughs) So I just looked at the calendar and the day start. Pretty much. So I went back and I was back there for a year and a half. And if anybody is listening to this and knows or is involved with the family business, you know how complicated and how difficult it can be at some times. And yeah, we just didn't see eye to eye on some things. And it's really mainly at that point, it was my one cousin and I, and it was funny because right after I left, we became really good friends. And so that has been a really, that's my silver lining of leaving, if you will. So that's, that's that. So I left, but I left to become a first generation farmer. And so I don't know what I was thinking. Some days I was 23. And while most of my friends were getting loans to buy houses, I was getting a $300,000 loan to buy 90 cows. Of course. Yeah. You're you're a farm kid. So I was a first generation farmer for 12 years up until actually this uh, last year. So if this question is too personal, you can tell me to shove it, but you have been open on social media about your divorce. And I'm assuming that that was part of the reason that you're not farming anymore. I know in Agriculture specifically, divorce can be extra difficult because it ends up involving businesses and families on a totally different level. So do you have any advice or words of wisdom for listeners who might be in a similar situation or are facing divorce? Know that you're not alone because it can feel so isolating in agriculture. Um, Divorce is hard enough, but then you put all the stresses of agriculture on that. And for me as a first generation farmer, there, I, I, there was a point where I didn't even recognize myself. I was so depressed. I was so, I just wasn't myself. And my friends kept telling me that, but I couldn't bring myself to leave because I'm like, no, I helped build this. I was a 50, 50 owner. And so, you know, when we started with 90 cows and at the end, well, when I left, we had a total of 800. So that was all young, young stock and everything. And we were milking 420 cows. And you just get to the point where your happiness is worth everything. I lost a lot. I had to walk away from a lot. I could have fought for it more, but my happiness was at stake. And that's what I really, I really wanted because it it took a while. It took three years. I mean, ask my, if you ask my really good friends and you know, they, 
they were with me. They stood by me the whole time. And I will say that's a huge thing that a big piece of advice is a support system. And it doesn't have to be your family because sometimes family isn't the best support system. It's friends. It's, it's complete strangers that, you know, you might meet through Instagram. And I've, I mean, that's, that's happened to me. And when I had posted about the divorce and, you know, I got a lot of kind of some flack about that. And one, I never aired the reasons behind that divorce, but I I felt like I had to, because when you are, when you put yourself out on social media, I, I felt an obligation to do so. One, two, I was the contact person for my farm. So people were starting to contact me last spring about farm tours and when is your ice cream open? Cause I'd also started an ice cream business. And I'm like, you guys need to know I'm not there. Cause it was also not making me feel very good. Right. Cause it's like, I'm no longer a part of this and I don't need reminded every single day that I'm no longer a part of this. So that's why I made the post that I did And I remember crying myself to sleep that night just because I was so overwhelmed with the amazing support and like the, I have over 200 some comments just on the post itself. And I, I just, and the amount of people that reached out both male and female that were like, I don't know what happened, but I feel like I'm stuck. I'm in a similar situation. So if I can help somebody on the other side of this, then it was worth it along with my happiness. And I'm happy. I'm not, I miss my cows. I do. And I'm very fortunate. And I thank God every day that I still have my family farm because I think this would have been a lot harder, but I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you are, you're going through something similar, know that you're not alone. You can reach out. You can even reach out to strangers. You really can. And because I don't, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy of, of what I went through. So there is light at the end of the tunnel as cliche as that sounds. (laughs) It seems like, too, one of the biggest complications is that, especially with livestock or with field crops, you can't just walk out. You know, you still have 400 cows that have to be milked. It's, you know, you I, can't just be like, see you later. Yeah. You know? well, I, mean, I guess and you I could, was, but. I was going to, it, I, <laughs> I thought it was going to happen a year sooner than it did because just things, just, they just weren't good. And, but that was when the pandemic started. And I remember my team. So we had six, six, I don't like to call them employees because they were more of a family to us than anything. And I just remember them, we had a, a, a team meeting and we were discussing COVID and, you know, precautions and new protocols and whatnot. And I just remember one in particular, she was just crying and, you know, cause healthcare in Latin America is nowhere near what it is here. And so she was just scared to death for herself, for her family, not only her family here, but her family back in Honduras. And I just couldn't go. I just couldn't do it. So I, 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 I stuck it out another year because I couldn't leave my team. I couldn't leave the second family that has had been with us for over 10 years. And some people that, you know, on the outside, they don't, they won't get that because they've not lived that, but it's also that farm. It's like, I looked at those beautiful Jersey cows and I'm like, how can I ever leave them? How can I ever leave this beautiful farm? But you just get to the point. And I, I had been told this and I just kind of put it on the back burner, but it's so true. And I tell people this that are struggling, nobody can tell you when the right time is to go. Only you will know that. And when I look back at when, cause I actually did a post on um, the year anniversary of me moving out. I look back at that and it's almost like an out-of-body experience. I'm like, how the hell did I have the courage to do that? What, like, I just, it's almost like, again, it's like watching myself move some of my stuff out. And I just, it was, I'm still, I get chills talking about it because I still can't believe I did it. And it was, this past year was a rocky one, but 
this past summer, I'll tell you what, it was growing up on a farm, best childhood ever. But this past summer was the best summer I've had yet of my 36 years. But I think mainly because there was a, a sense of freedom. And again, I'm not going to, I won't go into the personal aspects of the divorce, but even just, I mean, I love dairy farming has been me my entire life, but not having that responsibility of cows every day. I, I go dancing once a week, y'all. Like <laughs> I could never do that before. And I just met so many great people here in Gettysburg. And I, I created a, I found a second family of my line dancing group and my neighbors around here. Are fan- Gettysburg is fantastic. If you've never been, people find it weird that I call this place because everybody's like, why Gettysburg? This is, this is a place that brought me peace. And I know, and so people are like, that's weird because it's, you're surrounded by battlefields. And that's another thing I will say, your happiness is worth, is worth everything, but so is peace. Having that internal peace. And I don't know how else to explain it, to be honest, but to get out of the toxic environment I was in when I was still there, I would come up here. I'm only 35 minutes actually from the farm. And I would just come up here and walk and walk and walk and walk. And I just loved it here. So when I found this, and it's very hard to find um, any place to rent or buy in Gettysburg because everybody wants to live here because it's such a cute little town and I walk everywhere. So when it came available, I was like, this is my sign. I got to go. Sorry, did I answer your question? I feel like I go on tangents. <laughs> no, that I mean, that's perfect. And I mean, even the way you talk about it, you can, you said earlier, you were, you're growing yourself and I can hear it in your voice, you know, like you're, yeah, you're, you're coming into your own and, and it's clear that, you know, that you're ready for the change and you're embracing it too. One of, I have to share this with you. Um, so all these years I've been known as an advocate, right. For dairy. And I've done some amazing opportunities in the past to do that. But I was like, I was Katie daughter pile, the uh, cow comforted dairy. And I remember when I told my parents that I was, that we were getting a divorce, my dad was like beside himself. And I was like, what, what is going on? And he's like, well, like, you're just going to have to build your whole new identity. Like, this is who you are. And my dad or my mom actually told me, she's like, I had to remind your father that you grew up on a dairy farm. You didn't marry into one. You have been a dairy farmer your entire life. You know, this lifestyle, you know, this industry. And I tried to, I think my, I'm, I think I'm doing a decent job convincing my dad I'm going to be okay. The divorce was final in June. And then that wasn't enough. I decided to quit my full-time job teaching. Teaching doesn't pay that great, but the benefits are pretty good. And so when I told my parents that my dad was like, why, why would you quit a full-time job that, you know, gives you a steady paycheck every two weeks. And it had a lot to do with certification in the state of Maryland and also the COVID thing. I mean, it was, it was a mess. The school systems are a mess right now. And I, I just had this desire in me and I'm like, no, I want to grow advocate. I want to grow this. And if I don't take this year to do it, I'm never going to do it. And you know what? I might fail, but give me the chance to, I wanted to give myself the chance to, you know what, if I fail, okay, I, I can go, I'll go work for somebody, but right now, let me, let me do me. And I, my parents, if they listen to podcasts, which I'm glad they maybe don't, because I said this on another podcast too, but <laughs> If they knew how many job offers I've turned down in the last like six months, they would be appalled, but I want to give myself this chance first. And so far, so good. Knock on wood. Well, you're never going to get a better opportunity, you know, when you're not responsible for feeding cows and you're not, 
Yep. You know, I was stretched it. so thin. I had five side hustles in addition to teaching and farming just to help put food on the table. And I don't have to do that anymore. So can you, I know I saw a blog post, but can you sell us on the importance of full fat milk, especially mm -hmm. for children? I saw your whole like made a video and everything. And I am a strong <laughs> believer in full fat dairy for kids, especially. As a full grown adult, I, I yeah, I, I drink a gallon of full, gra or, uh, full fat milk every week, every week. There, I, I was really there's... waiting for you to say every day. Like, I, I, I wish I could. I wish I could. That's straight beast mode right No, full fat milk is super important, especially for children. And I think we forget that because I, a lot of people want to blame the obesity, the obesity problem on full fat dairy. And it's like, that's not the problem, which I, I could go down a rabbit hole of what I think the, what causes obesity in kids, but it's not full fat dairy. I can tell you that. Kids need that fat to grow. And here's something that a lot of people don't know is that full fat milk is 3%. So if you got your 1% milk, your 2% milk, whole milk is just 1% more. That's it. There's really not that much more fat in it. And it's more filling. It's more satisfying. So kids aren't going to you know, reach for that bag of chips or something unhealthy if they can have that dairy, which also has protein. It has like nine other essential nutrients and minerals that you're not getting with a juice or water really. So, I mean, milk is kind of like the, the gold standard in my book. And we, I mean, obviously we all grew up in milk and it, you know, when I go to people's places for dinner or whatever, or even out to a restaurant, it always surprises me and maybe it shouldn't, but as a kid, we always had milk always, always, always at supper time. Lunch, it was, you know, it was, you could have juice or water or whatever, but I don't know. It's just, and I still do that. I still have a big glass of whole fat milk with my dinner. And I also, I work out a lot. And so the protein is really important for me. And especially at night, because then I'm not up at two o'clock in the morning in my, in my freezer eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So it's very I think important. too, I mean, since I've already taken a, a firm stand on cultural exchange and the hot dish versus casserole, full fat tastes better. Let's just yes. face it. Like if you've ever eaten that fat free cheese replacement crap, what life is too bother. short. Yeah. yeah. Life is too short for fat. You can cheese. cut fats out in other, other places. I mean, just for me personally, I don't drink soda. I don't eat chips. I'm not just, I'm just not a fan. And soda, I think people forget too the empty calories and things like soda. I don't drink a lot of alcohol, which is why I'm a really fun time when I do. because It doesn't take much. <laughs> I kind of want to go visit Katie now. I love Gettysburg and the fact it's that she's currently, you know, one drink and some line dancing. <laughs> yeah, um, the dancing every week sounds great too. Yeah, yes, and I'm also a total lightweight now, so I feel like we you're going to make a, a great time. team. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it saves a lot of money because you know if you don't need five or six drinks to get going, it's uh, safety something. <laughs> all right, so the other our questions are all out of answer now or mm -hmm. out of out of order the when i was going through your social media i saw your blog post about not being allowed to go back to the farm we've had a lot of friends who've really struggled with this that you know one kid stayed and one kid left and then the kid who left came back and was just part of things again and that is as a parent i understand it because you want you know you want your kids to come back to the farm but as a farmer that is so shitty and unfair. So I'm wondering how much 
transparency there was with your family that this is the way it was going to be if you left and then wanted to come back or you know how that how much you knew about their decision making process before it became a thing so i don't ever remember when i left i don't remember any anybody saying to me hey if you if you leave you can't come back that that was never said to me but i also knew so my when, being raised on the farm that i was raised on <clears throat> And, you know, in the beginning, I said it's it's very progressive and they're not just progressive in how they have continued to build the business or businesses. Really, they have a couple other businesses within the dairy, but they've also been very progressive in protecting the integrity, the structure of the farm, whether that's that includes family, but that also includes the 40 people that they employ. They're, they're a bigger employer in the in the county. And I don't like to tell you guys how much of an impact farms make in communities, especially in, in local communities. So with the with saying all that, we were raised with my dad wanted us kids to know from an early age that farming is a business. It is not just taking care of cows and planting crops and harvesting crops. It is a business first and then a farm. And to be honest too, when I look at, when I talk about the economics of farming with some people, again, I think, and this goes back to the the big communication gap between consumers and farmers is people just want to envision us as, I don't know, in overalls and a straw hat and a piece of wheat hanging out of her mouth and frolicking through the fields. That is not what farming is. Y'all know that's that. That's not how you guys farm? No, I wish it was. <laughs> I mean, really go back and I you almost know, put and, on overalls this morning. That would have been embarrassing. <laughs> and, if, you know, I, I hate that profit is like a four-letter word in agriculture, where if we talk about profit for any other business, it's fine. But agriculture, oh, apparently we should be milking cows for fun. We should just be milking cows for the charity of, of feeding people, which don't get me wrong. That is the best part, in my opinion, about farming is you get to be at the humble beginnings of somebody's meal, right? But we also have to make a profit. We have to be able to continue to stay in business, not only for the health of everything that we're doing, whether that's crops, cows, whatever you're raising, but also the family, also the people that you're employing. And so knowing this and growing up with this mindset and dad was never, um, too, he wasn't shy about the financials of the farm. Now, I mean, we were kids, so I just did a post actually about feeding calves with my brother and sister every day after school, I was in first grade and it took forever in a day because it's, we had, we used sand buckets <laughs> and we forget. I should do an experiment because I forget how many of those equaled one five gallon bucket, but it's a lot. And you know how cheap those are, right? I remember so many times I'd be, I'd have a sand bucket in each hand of, of chopped corn going out to the cat or with the heifers and the handles would break. And so anyway, we got paid $10 a month to do that. And so I, I still am not a huge fan of math, but when I learned math in first, second grade, I was like, okay, this isn't computing dad. And so I had, I had my first business meeting with my father at like the age of seven. And I'm like, this isn't fair. These wages are not fair. And, you know, I'm really glad I really don't, I don't like it when people tell me, oh, well, I have all these kids for free labor. And it's like, don't treat them like that because they're not going to want to return to the farm. They, you, you have to put a value on this hard work that nobody else wants to do. So anyway, we did get a raise. I forget how much it was, but we only saw the $10 a month because everything was being put into a savings account, which is by the way, also how I 
bought my first car and my first motorcycle in cash. So all that cash so, feeding paid off. Yes. Yes, it did. So to get to your, the, the point of your question of not coming back to the family farm, I guess I kind of always had in the back of my head that if I did want to return at some point, it was not going to be an easy process. It wasn't going to be like, Hey, I'm home. What's up? Not, not happening. And so when I, if you haven't read the article, when I was in really a really bad shape back in 2017, and I was filling my dad in on, on some events at that time. And he said, well, what are you going to do, Kate? And I said, at that point, I'm, I'm like I'm desperate. Like I'm about to lose everything or so I thought back in 2017. And he said, well, I said, well, can I come home? And he said, I don't, I don't know. He's like, I'm going to have to run it by the family. My family meets every Thursday. They have a family meeting every Thursday, which I think is awesome because I mean, communication is huge in any business, especially a family business. And yeah, he called me back after that family meeting and said, we voted that you nor your oldest cousin, who's also off the farm, cannot come back. And so did I, I mean, I took it pretty hard and, but I was only upset for like 24 to 48 hours because one, I wasn't grown up. I, I didn't expect my farm, my family just to, to take me back. Like I knew that this is a structured business and they've had a transition, a succession plan in place for years, which most, some farms don't. And it, I, I cringe when I hear that because I was like all this hard work that pre previous generations have been putting into the farm. Why do you want to just squander that? let it, you know, have a plan that it's going to, to go to that next generation. And so anyway, I think too, cause I've had, I've had a little bit of blowback on that article. Cause a lot, some of my friends remember that like, well, you know, you had said at one point that you didn't want to come back and Clinton County wasn't for you. And I was like, okay, well, you weren't in my shoes in 2017. And like, I can't even, I can't even explain to you the mental state that I was in. Let's just say it wasn't good. And so you get the blow of what was happening in my personal life. And then the blow of my family doesn't even want me back. You know, that it's not a good feeling, but again, I feel like too, it, you have to have a, a stronger mindset too, because I'm like, okay, well, what's plan B? Cause I can't go home. And to you, when I ask that too, I want to just clarify this. I wasn't asking to go back full time. I was just asking to go back, to get my feet underneath me to, to then, you know, go on to whatever I was supposed to do, but it didn't happen. And that's okay. I, I really am a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. And that door shut. And I was like, okay, well, I gotta, gotta find the one that's open. And that wasn't it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that if it was a situation, it wasn't that you couldn't, you know, go to your parents' house and, you know, like maybe live with them for a while or, you know, like that they wouldn't support you in other ways. It was right. that this business structure does not, it can't support you right now. And well, that's, that's, that's a viable, that's a, that's a real answer, right? Like that's, yeah. The, and, we need to be honest about our businesses and what they can support and what they can't. And sometimes if, if families try to take someone in, I mean, we've also seen situations where, where they, you know, welcome someone back and it goes really badly. And then, you know, what have you got then? Because then you're, you've upset the person who was running things, the person who came back, it wasn't a good fit and maybe they left for a reason. And now everybody's upset, right? Not right. saying that that would have been the situation, but I mean, like you said, a business is a business and we have to, we have to treat them that way. When people, especially a lot of locals were like, oh my gosh, your family's so heartless. And I was like, oh my gosh, no, listen, look at the structure of the business. You have 
two kids from this side, two kids from this side. If I came back, it's completely upsetting the apple cart. And so when they voted that I couldn't come back, they were like, okay, well, if Katie can't come back, then Jen can't come back, my oldest cousin. And that's, that was equal. That's fair. Right. Now I will say too, another saying my dad always drilled into our heads was nothing is more constant than change. And so when I wrote that article, I had called both my sister and my cousin. I wanted to pretty much get their blessing. Cause I'm like, look, I've been wanting to put this out here for a while. Cause I keep getting asked or people just assume that I'm, I'm back home. And Amanda called, she was, she was fine with it. But then she called me like 30 seconds later. She's like, Hey, cause it wasn't done. But she said, I really think you should put it in there. She said, there's nothing to say that we won't, you know, revote on this and, and make future decisions. And I was like, yeah, totally. Like that's, and that was actually part of the closure where, and we've had discussions already of, okay, Katie and Jen, like if you, if you guys would come back, what do you think you would do? Like, we've talked about it. There's not been any type like, you know, serious, serious conversation, but there's been talk. And so I'm honestly, I'm happy doing what I'm doing right now. And as I love my family, we're still very close, but as of right now, like today, I have no desire to, to move home. I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now and growing my business and enjoying beautiful Gettysburg. I think there's so much to be said too, for the emotional freedom of having a clear plan and having a clear, not just a succession plan, but a what if plan. You know, my husband and I, our kids are the fifth generation on this farm and they're five and four in just a few weeks. And we've talked about, you know, what are we going to do if neither of them wants to take it over? We're older parents. You know, I'm 40. My husband's 43. Had to think about it. You know, and so having that conversation about what do we do if they don't want it? Because I don't want to force them to take it. That's, you know, that's Mm -hmm. not a real healthy place to be. And we had already agreed that the the health and the integrity of our family comes before staying in business farming, you know, and that's just where our priority is. And so I think it's so good for families to have that discussion sooner rather Mm -hmm. than when all hell breaks loose. And And I think, I mean, I think you should. I just, I've witnessed a few people that stay in the family business too, just because they feel obligated to, but yet they've had these dreams that they've just never acted on because they didn't want to disappoint their parents, or maybe it's just easier. Or or I just, it's, you've got to do you. You, I just, one of my sayings right now is una vida, una vida. It means one life in Spanish because we only get this one. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. And you can't live someone else's life for them or someone else's dream for you. I think too, Sorry, Arlene, I think we should get Katie's family on because I mean, to hear farmers and dairy farmers, especially because y'all are crazy. Um, <laughs> yes. Seeming. I'm to, a dairy farmer. So she's saying to that to not me only too. <laughs> accept, but embrace change. I mean, my, my pet peeve that I've been very open about is that my least favorite phrase in the world is this is how we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I ruled the world, we would be done with that phrase. Yes. So, you know, I, seeing any farmers who are embracing it and planning for it is really nice to see because it's going to happen. Yeah. I'm giving a keynote next week and my, my speech is titled silos and silver linings. And the silo part is that it's, it's a comfort zone, right? How many of us are in our silos and especially in dairy where we don't really venture out too far. 
And so I talk about whether you're forcefully um, shoved out of your silo or you voluntarily leave it, it's scary either way. But then the silver linings come into play. It's like, okay, well, what, what's a positive that I can make out of this negative situation? You know, and I, I could list a bunch of things that has happened and, but like, you know, with not having a dairy anymore, this was my first winter that I didn't have to go out in the flipping cold to thaw water pipes or water buckets. And I was not mad about it, although it did feel weird, but yeah. We're going to have to cop that. So you don't end up on a bunch of people's shit list. Yeah. Probably people good. sending you hate mail. <laughs> Honestly, though, I always call that. I'm not far from a, a large dairy farm, and I almost called them to be like, "Hey, y'all need help?" Because like I and I actually have offered my my time to a couple farmers around here because I miss harvest. I miss harvest so much. So I drive truck. I don't. You don't need a CDL in, in ag. Well, when you're hauling ag commodities in a specific mile radius. So actually I had one farmer that was like, yeah, I could totally use you to, to haul some grain. He didn't end up needing me, which was disappointing, but that was okay because my schedule is was filling up. But yeah, I miss it. We get folks out here who say, you know, I'd love to come stack hay. I haven't stacked hay in so many, you know, in so long. And most of them never come back. But, but you take you know, them folks up on do it? show up. Yeah. We've had a couple of folks that have come back and helped again. So that's always <laughs> nice. So, Katie, it's clear that you are excited about agriculture. What excites you about agriculture going forward? What, what's, what's firing you up about being involved in this industry? One, the amount of people that are beginning to have more of an open mind about Spanish and learning Spanish in the industry, but also technology. I, I can't say too much about it, but I am working on a very fun project um, about technology and agriculture using augmented reality, which is not the same thing as virtual reality. So I actually just did a video shoot this past Saturday with Penn State about this technology and how it can immensely improve agriculture. And so I'm just really excited to see where that goes. And I'm a very impatient person. So I'm like, can we speed this process up, please? I'd like the reality now. <laughs> yes. Yes, please. I'm a very high energy, if you can't tell. And so I just, I want things to happen now and I want them to happen at like a pace that I want them to happen at, but it's fine. I'm trying, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning that too. But at technology and agriculture is, you know, we're always kind of, like I said, on that video interview was we've, we've really been ahead of the times with technology. I mean, our cows had pedometers before humans did, right? Yeah. People that blows people's minds, but I'm like, yeah, dude, we had Fitbits on these cows when I was like 12, but the technology that keeps evolving I think we're just going to see agriculture take off with it. But of course we need funding and we need, there's a lot of education that goes into that too. So technology is probably the, the biggest thing I'm excited about. All right. So Katie, what's next for you? What's a good question. What is next for me? So I obviously still want to keep growing advocate and myself and I, I did sign a contract, so I feel like I can talk about it now. So for three years, I've been doing Spanish for the, it's, I say specifically for the dairy industry, but people in ag as a whole have been taking it and it's, it's been very helpful and useful, but I'm also going to be branching into building curriculum and teaching Spanish classes for the swine and poultry industries. So I'm super excited about that because I get to learn, like I love learning. And one of the biggest parts of that, the most exciting part for me is meeting new people and it's meeting different farmers and learning about different sectors of agriculture. Like I'm going to learn so many new terms in Spanish because <laughs> it's not just meeting with 
with the owners or producers, right? I also want to meet with the workforce because whether you're from Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, wherever, there's different words for everything. So I'm really, really excited to put that together. Um, I, I also love to travel. So I have a, some, some places on my, my travel list to, to knock out. One of those is actually coming up very soon in May. I just booked my ticket last week. Oh, I where are you headed? Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Listen, I, I was waiting for it to be bucket list. <laughs> I was waiting I for it to, to be somewhere exotic. <laughs> well, I did. I did just get back from Puerto Rico. I absolutely love going to different countries, but in Puerto Rico, with with COVID and everything, it, it was just a better option at the time. But yeah, I know I, I definitely have more exotic places on my list. But Oklahoma for more of a look. I'll just share it with you. I'm named after my aunt Katie, who I'd never met. So we both share the same same name, Catherine. She spelled hers with a C. I spell mine with a K. And so my mom always talked about her. My, she was my mom's favorite aunt, but I never met this person. And I don't know. I just have this thing where I just feel like this connection with her. And my uncle, who was a hellion, apparently growing up, he's actually my second uncle, would be sent out to Oklahoma every year to go to Aunt Katie's ranch. She had a turkey farm because he was just such a piss pot to deal with in Pennsylvania. So I heard all these stories growing up. So anyway, I'm going out to Oklahoma because I want to research my Aunt Katie. I want to see where her farm was. I know it's developed over right now. She was from Medford, Oklahoma. So if you have any listeners that are near that place, I would love to, I just love meeting new people too. But I, her grave sites out there. I just want to learn more about her and where she came from. Like the person that I was named after that my mom like loved. So, and then I have a friend in Kansas. I'm going to go see, and I bought a, this is crazy. I've never done this before. I bought a one-way ticket because the cool thing with my job, especially building the curriculum for now poultry and swine, no matter what, everything's online. So as long as I have Wi-Fi, my laptop, and if I'm teaching a whiteboard, which I have a travel whiteboard, I'm good to go. So I mean, I don't, people are like, wait, are you not coming back? And it's like, I'm coming back. I just don't know if I'm going to fly, if I'm going to drive. This is the freedom that I've not had. Like having a dairy, I don't, I don't have cows to rush back to. So I'm, I'm going to take this time and I'm, this is part of my self growth. And I've always wanted to do this and darn it. I have the time to do it. So I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Good for you. So, so yeah. So, yes. That's yes. very exciting. So, I love traveling and growing the Spanish business into other sectors of ag is super exciting. And I keep talking about it and I just, it's, it's finding the time, but creating those English as a second language courses, because every time I go to promote my Spanish classes, I get somebody from the Hispanic community. They'll DM me, PM me and be like, Hey, can you like make an English class? So I know there's, there's definitely a need for it out there. And like I said, the gentleman that I, I can't, I would love to tutor that in person, but I just, I don't have a private jet yet. So I can't, I can't do it all, but that's, that's where I'm, I'm planning on going and dancing. I'm never, and I'm never not going to dance. I'm going dancing tomorrow night. Actually. I line dance a lot. Katie, I feel like we need a, a platonic language learners match system <laughs> for the folks who are trying to learn English and the folks who are learning Spanish, because I'm actually doing online Spanish classes, but trying to find folks to converse with is more challenging. And this is my big question for you, and I didn't even put it in our list. How do we improve our accents if, say, we've learned plenty of terminology through years of study, but our accents are so horrific that people still don't understand us? <laughs> it was really an eye-opening shocker when I realized that 
if people had thick accents in English and it makes it hard to understand them, that it was possible that I would have a thick accent in Spanish and that would be why people didn't understand me because it's, it honestly didn't occur to me that having a, a thick accent, I was about to say a bad accent, but a thick <laughs> accent would legitimately make it hard for people to understand you. It does. And my biggest piece of advice for that is listening to it. The more you listen to it, the more your brain is going to make those connections. So it's going to start coming out in your speech. And it does take a lot of practice. When I went back to college for Spanish, you can't just do Spanish. And I was grateful for all these. I didn't like them at first, but they were linguistic psychology classes. And it was, it was fascinating. The science behind when you learn what we call an L2, which is your second language in comparison to your L1, your first language. And so the brain connections that happen when you are learning a second language is, is phenomenal. So listening to that, and I just found some really cool podcasts. They're very short. They're 15 to 18 minutes long. One's coffee break Spanish. And one is un dia en español, one day in Spanish. And what they do is you'll hear a story and stories are one of the best ways to learn a language, but they break it down. They talk slow because Spanish speakers talk, they talk, they say we, we talk fast and I'm like, no, y'all talk really fast. But the more you listen to it, the more it's going to come out in your speech when you practice it. And the first thing I thought of when you said accent, so I was in Puerto Rico in January and one of the best, I, I call it a compliment. One of my Uber driver <laughs> was taking me back to the airport and I always ask a Spanish speaker, ¿Puedo practicar mi español contigo? Can I practice my Spanish with you? Some of them say no, because they're like, yeah, I don't have the patience, which I'm like, I totally get, I respect, that's fine. Um, I actually had a guy in a cafe there. I was like, yeah, no. I'm like, okay. It's like, I speak English. All right. But my Uber driver, I'll just have a drink then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my Uber driver is like, yeah, of course. So I'm speaking Spanish with him and he asked me where I'm from. And I, I tell him and he was like, oh, I was like, did I, did I disappoint you? <laughs> and he said, I just, uh, so in that, sorry, that was in San Juan, which is a very touristy part of San Puerto Rico, which by the way, I, I stayed in the Southern part among the locals, which I love. I was only in San Juan for a day and a half and that was enough for me. But anyway, so this Uber driver, he's like, you know, he, he meets and sees so many people from so many different places. And he said, I'm sorry, he said, I really thought you were from Argentina. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah, you have an Argentine accent. And I'm like, I like you. And I gave him a bigger tip. <laughs> I, I actually went to Oaxaca several years ago to Ooh. for a language immersion program. And I had so much trouble because people wanted to speak English with me to practice their English. And I'm like, that's great. But, and then I started meeting all these people who had family members who had come to Iowa to work. So, you know, I used that, that in was the gonna... sector. I was going to say, if you're in agriculture and you, you do have a community of Spanish speakers, and maybe this is something we start, you know, but something that we, you get, you can get together with them a couple times a week. And like, I was spoiled because every day I had my, my team that, that spoke Spanish and they were not afraid to correct me on, on certain things or, and I would do the same thing with their English, but that's really important to like, you know, make sure that you're that you are communicating with native speakers. Although I will say too, they, the Spanish that you learn, like as like a uh, informal education, I guess you should, you would say is not the same. It's like jargon, right? It's, I always make the example of wanna, I want to do this, or I'm going to do this. That is slang for us. And so when a Spanish speaker hears that they literally think W A N N A is a word 
and it's not, <laughs> you know? So anyway, it's, it's fun because you'll, you'll learn a bunch of different dialects and, and words when you practice with native speakers. Oh, so we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at a county fair, what would it be? And categories can be real or made up to ensure that you win. A dance. Or if it was like baking, I feel it. I'm like the cheesecake queen. I love making cheesecakes, even though they're temperamental AF. I love to make cheesecakes. So we'll go with that. Delicious. I just feel, I feel Good better options. and feel safer too, that I know it would not be made with like low fat fake okay. No. <laughs> shit with stabilizers in it full fat cream cheese <laughs> and You're sour cream gonna get hate mail from some <laughs> bizarre small sect of fat-free dairy lovers yeah whatever that's fine so our next segment to the podcast is our cussing and discussing segment katie so this is well katie and katie this is where we can cuss about something that's been going on or discuss something it doesn't have to be negative we just recently registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe, where listeners can leave their cussing and discussing entries so if you go to www.speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language you can leave us a voice memo there or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we can read it out for you with whatever accent we choose <laughs> so katie co-host i'm gonna ask you what are you cussing and discussing this week so arlene i have a cricket cutter you know okay i was gonna say do you have a cricket in the house no no i might um, <laughs> craft craft cricket which reminds me too if there's a lot of background noise in this episode i'm sorry we weaned calves and we have a cows in heat so <laughs> it's real noisy out back and i had purchased some cricket tools you know little little accessory things like a year and a half ago and then promptly they disappeared and I've been ripping my office apart ripping my sewing room apart thinking maybe I hallucinated having these items I haven't been able to find them anywhere and it was came across to you know 593 hacks for making your life better or whatever you know and was paging through it because you never know when you'll find something useful and it said something <laughs> yeah, about you're on page 500 yeah you know that little, little, um, not a pocket, a little cubby in your cricket for storing your tools. And I thought, I didn't know there was a little cubby. And I went and I opened it up. And apparently at some point I did know that there was a little cubby because that's where all of my stuff has been <laughs> hiding in the cricket I've been using for the last year and a half <laughs> and just forgot that there was a cubby. So upside, now I have all my tools back. <laughs> and you've recorded where they are so yeah you and i've and... i've put in a good word for 500 page tutorials about how to make your life better because one of them was actually <laughs> useful so katie what do you have to cuss and discuss discuss <laughs> i hate grocery shopping i hate it so i just i have I really actually need a personal assistant. And since, since I don't have one, I'm like, I've got to outsource something. So I, for the longest time, I did Instacart here and there during the pandemic. And I loved it. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, all I have to do is like enter my grocery list and it, bam, it shows up my door, but it was, it's kind of expensive, you know? And, but Instacart kept bugging me with these stupid freaking emails and shit. And they were just like, if you, if you pay this membership fee, you get your delivery fee, blah, blah. And I didn't do it for a while. Well, I kept using Instacart and I was like, well, that's stupid. So I finally signed up for it and it's the best thing ever. Like I just absolutely, like I would, I would cry if I lived in an area where I couldn't get it because 
it's one last thing I have to, like, if you think about grocery shopping, guys, how much time does it take you to leave your house? Like, well, first off, make your list, leave your house, go to the grocery store, get behind old, well, I don't want to say old people, because people just like, just meander in the aisles anyway. You're like, dude, I got shit to do. Can you move please? Like I'm on a mission. Like when I go to the grocery store, I have a list written down. And I'm like, go, go, go. And then anyway, it's like, you know, almost an hour and a half, two hour ordeal. Like who has time for that? I do not with everything that I have going on, especially building this business. I'm like, okay, you know what, Katie, you're not paying a personal assistant. So we're going to do Instacart. So before this podcast, I just, I, I signed up. I have the, it's a $99 a year thing, but you don't get the delivery fees. And there's another discount at this. I didn't even care. Like, so I'm getting groceries here in like two hours. I'm very excited about it. They're just going to come to my door. I'm going to put them away. And that'll be that. So that that's, that's what's on my plate, literally. And that's I hate cooking for smart. one, by the way. But yeah, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I have to say too, we, you know, living in a small town and we're 20 miles from Walmart. So no, no Instaplate here, but no, you don't know Instacart. Instacart, yeah. no. But when we go to like Walmart or whatever for groceries, you know, that's where everybody runs into everybody else they know. And so there's just like clumps of people in every aisle. And I really feel like we ought to designate specific aisles they could stand around in or like, you know, go stand in the tuna fish aisle. Nobody yes. needs that anyway. Like, don't stand in front of the bread. Don't be that person. As it, much as it annoyed it. me at the beginning of the pandemic, so our grocery stores still have the directional signs on them. And I'm okay with that because if we're all going the same way, at least I can pass you. you it's go. when you had the two people stopped on both sides who are going opposite directions pre-pandemic. So if they leave the arrows on, I'm okay. It means I have to double back sometimes, but I can yeah. manage that as long as I can keep moving. That's smart. That is smart, but it, it just does. It, it frees up so much time. And yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with my decision. <laughs> it's a minor decision, but there's something else I was going to say about that. It just, you know, these days too, with cooking for one, it's like, what? It, it's a pain in the ass, really. I mean, it's, it's I eat a lot of seafood because it's very easy just to do like one salmon filet or, you know, something. Yeah. Or, it's not frozen in a hunk. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to say to $99 a year is like $8 a month. It's well worth it. Well, and if you, you, I actually did the math too on that. And it's like, by the time you get in your car, you know, with fuel to get there, to get back or just in the time, like that is, I think one of the biggest things I learned this last year and I always knew it, but to really, really understand there is a value on your time. And that goes as far, like when I, you know, I have different rates, whether it's a speaking rate or a translation rate and people, if I get anybody that's like, oh, that's too expensive. Well then move on. Like I, I don't, this is, this is my time. And I'm spreading it against like, you know, right now, five different things. So anyway, I'm, I'm very excited to get my groceries. Very excited. <laughs> yeah. I will say too, I've started doing like curbside pickup for stuff. And that first time that I got my six bags of softener salt and my 50 pounds of dog food, and mm -hmm. I didn't have to put them in the cart or out yes. of the cart. Amazing. Yes. Because somebody I had... just came out and put it in the car for me. When I had a cat, I, I did Chewy and that they did that. And that was awesome. I was like, nobody's going to be staring at the struggling girl trying to get like all this cat litter and cat food in her car. But yeah, that's the little things. All right, so Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss this week? So we recently went on a plane as a family, first time in a long time, and I'm cussing baggage fees because they suck. And I mean, 
so they don't want you to put bags on the plane basically because they charge you for it so it was like 30 or 35 dollars i think a bag so there were six of us we're a big family so we each had a carry-on we each had a personal item but then all the flights are full so then they want you to gate check your bag so it's like well if you didn't charge me for the bag in the first place i would have put it under the plane and then they have to take extra time to then ask people to volunteer to bag to gate check their bags so we can tag them and they'll meet you at your destination it's like imagine that if you could just let me put it in the plane in the first place mm -hmm. then i wouldn't have had all six all four of my kids pulling their stupid rolly bags i would have packed three big bags and we would have been fine so yeah airlines don't do that do you have you ever flown i don't think so i don't travel a lot in the states or i mean well i guess <laughs> pandemic times i don't travel much anywhere but it's one I of the big so. it's one of the big reasons i travel southwest is you can actually check two bags free two Whew. And so get that carry right there. <laughs> yeah, because I was looking at a, a discount carrier here in Canada for our recent trip, and you had to pay for your carry-ons. And just on that alone, I was like, never mind. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not flying with you. Can't do it. No. You can't. Southwest, as a business person, when I first read Southwest, um, like their mission statement and like how that company came to be, they're smart. I mean, it's it's not just. It's just how they they run things, and yeah, two. It's that's every flight to check, yeah, free check bags. So just you might want to listen to it. Keep time. in mind, <laughs> is your open ended flight with Southwest? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. Because the other thing they do is uh, a low fare calendar. I got mine for seventy five bucks. Whoa! Go to yeah. Oklahoma as many times as you want. Right? Yeah. <laughs> with your oh, free I mean, bags. Oklahoma is so. It's it's one of those hubs that's not very popular. So because I hate layovers, so I always try to get a direct flight. But I do have it's fine. It's fine. I'm going out to research Aunt Katie. It's not like I'm going out for a work meeting or anything. So yeah, that's right. She's not going anywhere. You know, <laughs> she's not. <laughs> you know, the other thing about her, can I just tell you? I was going through the family history and I found out she was divorced three times. So I was like, I feel like we're kindred spirits, you know. I I don't know. It just yeah, you were named after her for a reason. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she Katie sounds up. awesome. She does. I've the pictures I have of her. She's such a classy lady. And mom said she was always the fun one. She she went through a lot of stuff. She get this. She got her her first divorce was 1928 when women that that was unheard of. Yeah. And I asked my grandmother about it in Oklahoma. I, Maybe she moved there later. Yeah. And I asked my grandmother about it and she said, oh, well, her first her first husband was a womanizer. She was only married to him for a year and was like, peace out, dude. I'm not, not going to put up with <laughs> yeah, this. I'm, I'm not doing <laughs> this. She also lost a son at the age of nine. He went in for a tonsillectomy and died on the operating table. Oh, um, she never, never had any other children, but she, she married, according to my grandma, her love of her life the second time. And then he passed away of, of old age. And then she got married one more time. And they both obviously passed within like six months of each other. But yeah, I'm just really excited to, to see her. if I, okay. Can I tell you something weird? Give it. Yeah. We so I'm not her. one to like really get into like tarot readings or whatever, but if you don't know, I'm a, I love tea, like hot tea. And there's a tea festival here every year in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, and everything is tea, whether it's tea flavor, <laughs> you can just sample all the teas. I, I tell people think I'm British because they're like, you love tea way too much. And I, there's an art to brewing tea and that's a whole different, whole different podcast. But 
my friend went with me and we just, for shits and giggles, we decided to get our tea leaves read. So I'd never heard of this. So, but it's like tarot reading, right? And so you take a sip of tea and then they read the leaves that the, that leaves in your cup. It's kind of dumb, whatever. So again, for shits and giggles, it's just a festival. Well, she's reading my tea leaves, this tea leaf lady, very eccentric lady. And she said, um, she put her hand on her heart and she said, you have two guardian angels. I was like, just two. Cause I feel like I need more. <laughs> And are they on duty all the time? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I do stupid shit. But she's like, the two that are watching over you constantly died of something to do with something here. And when she put her hand on her chest, breast cancer runs rampant in my family. Like I already am. I'm pretty sure that's what I'm going to go of. Cause like almost everybody in my family has had it or had some type of scare with it. And my grandmother's had it four times. She's still with us. Thank God. But I'm like, okay, well, it's somebody with breast cancer. So I'm, I'm thinking about this, right? So the next time I go home, I ask my mom about it. Well, grandma knows everything. Grandma's, she'll be 93 next month. And she said, I said, grandma, did, um, what did aunt Katie die of? And she said, heart disease. And I was like, huh, I didn't tell her about the telius because she would have thought I was like crazy, but I don't know. I just, that's why I, I'm like, maybe that's why I feel like this, like, I just need to go see where she lived and. She was a farmer too. So yeah. Yeah. Figure out the connection. Yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. So thank you, Katie, so much for joining us today. And we really appreciate your time. And we know that time has value, like you said, and we appreciate you sharing it with us and with our listeners. She, she's going to send us a bill after. Oh, that's fine. No, I'm not. <laughs> like, $3,000 or something. <laughs> At end of the podcast. It was worth it. <laughs> oh, I so no, I I, pre, I really appreciate this opportunity. I really do. Any chance to get the advocacy out there about agriculture and talking? I'm just excited you guys wanted to talk about Spanish too, because there's not a lot of people that want to, and just I I feel like it's becoming more of a, a topic that people want to talk about. So thank you for for even reaching out and uh, having me on here. Yeah. So here's your chance. What is your social media handle? How can people find you? Find more about classes, all that kind of stuff. Where should we look? Yep. So on Facebook, it is just Agvocate, A-G-V-O-K-A-T-E. I'm not on there as much. I'm just, I'm more of an Instagram person. So on Instagram, it is the underscore Agvocate. And then the, so you can send me a DM, a PM, but I think the best way to get a hold of me is through my website, which is agvocate.com. Pretty simple. And if you go to the about, and actually, I think I have my email right on the homepage, just shoot me an email and that, you know, for anything, whether it's Spanish ad advocacy, or, I mean, really my heart is really wants to help those that might be struggling, whether it's a divorce or just something in life to just so you know that you're not alone and you can totally reach out to complete strangers. And if I can help you, I, I will. All right. Well, thank you. for awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here on Barnyard Language. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language. And on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farm families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. Patreon is a service where you commit to making a small monthly donation, which goes towards the making of this podcast. We would love it if you would become a patron of the show. Go to www.patreon.com backslash Barnyard Language to support us. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. Whoop, whoop.